Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, shows have gone dark and production has stopped as thousands of Hollywood writers hit the picket lines for a third day after negotiations with studios collapsed Monday. The Writers' Union, Writers Guild of America, is demanding better pay, staffing guarantees, and restrictions on the use of AI. Members say they're making less money even as studio production budgets balloon. This hour, we'll look at what the life of a film or TV writer is like in the era of streaming services and AI, and hear from you what's a show that you think has great writing. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Late-night audiences have been among the first to feel the fallout of the writer's strike. Stephen Colbert's, Jimmy Fallon's, Jimmy Kimmel's, and Seth Meyers' shows are on pause, airing reruns instead. Seth Meyers prepared audiences last week for the possibility of the show going dark and expressed support for writers before talks broke down Monday between the Writers' Union and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Joining me first is Sal Gentile, one of the head writers for Late Night with Seth Meyers and board member of the Writers Guild of America East. Sal, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you very much. I should just clarify very quickly. um, I'm not a board member, just a member of the WGA. Oh, sorry about that. Thanks for clarifying. No problem. I'm curious how it's felt not to go into work. I understand you've worked for late night with Seth Meyers for a long time. I imagine that first day of not going in was was sort of disorienting. It was incredibly disorienting. Um, it was crushing, honestly. I mean, I love what I do and I love our, our, I love my job. I love our staff. I love everybody that I work with. Um, there's an incredible sense of community and solidarity there. And um, I love going, I love writing. I, I, I love writing. I love writing a closer look. I love writing jokes about the <laughs> And um, it's also very cathartic, I have to say. Um, it's been very difficult to read the news at home with uh, nothing to uh, angrily type into. Um, so um, uh, it was very disorienting. Um, and uh, and I'm sure everybody on our show feels that way. I know they do from having talked to them on the picket lines and um, and talking with everybody. We all feel that way. We love We love writing so much. And we love our show so much. And I actually think I've been reflecting on it a little bit while I've been talking to them and been on the picket line. I mean, that's in in large part, that is why we're doing this, because we love what we do so much and we want to protect it. 
Yeah, what is the thing that you'd most like to get across in this moment to help people understand why writers are striking? I guess I just like to get across the basic sense that we just want to protect writing for ourselves and future generations, again, because we love it so much. And we've seen what future generations, or I should say past generations of writers have done for us. We saw the strike in 2007 and 2008. We saw the gains that the Guild got uh, for writers then and for writers now that we benefit from. And we want to make sure that writing remains a sustainable, livable career. Um, and that writers uh, see the benefits of their work as things shift to streaming. Uh, there was a structure in place. Um, it wasn't perfect, but it's a structure in place that the writers had fought for for decades um, to make sure that writers were benefiting from their work. Uh, that was in place for broadcast and for traditional TV and uh, traditional theatrical releases, and that structure was broken by streaming. And all we want is for that structure to be restored in streaming so that writers can just continue to make a career out of writing. If you weren't on strike, what would you be doing right now? What is a typical day like for a writer on, on Seth Meyers' show? Oh, man, right now? In fact, at this very moment, we would be reading uh a closer look. We would be in a meeting right now where we would be reading a draft. Um, and that is one of my favorite parts of the day. It it might be my single favorite part of the day because we sit there and we just laugh at how dumb everything we write is. <laughs> and uh, it's really, it's genuinely, I can't describe the joy of it enough. Um, we just, uh, I sit in a room, I'm incredibly lucky and privileged to sit in a room with Seth Myers, who is who, who is a writer, who loves being a writer, and as you know and noted before, has expressed support for the writers. And uh, we get to sit there and we read through this. He reads through the script. And, um, you know, I write a draft and then Seth will add to it um, and change it and make cuts and so forth and so on, add his own things. And then it's a very collaborative, cooperative uh, experience, uh, process. And then we get to sit there and read it. And a lot of it is just so incredibly dumb. Like there's the points that we write about the news, obviously, and we want to come across it. But then we, uh, we, we write, we just, and we know some of it is going to not go well later. <laughs> we know, we know some of what we've written is going to be insane for the audience. And sometimes we'll cut it. And sometimes we'll say, this makes us laugh too much. And, and we'll keep, um, and, uh, Sometimes he's even called me out on the air for for writing something that we both know was very dumb and it didn't go well. And he said that was Sal's idea. And <laughs> that delights me because the camaraderie of writing is the most fun part of it. So that's what we would be doing right now. And I, I really miss doing that. And that's just even that underscores how much this cause means to us, because I would love to be doing that right now. But instead, uh, we are fighting for something that we think is incredibly important. And that's why we're on the picket line instead. Yeah. Well, Sal, a closer look is a great segment, and I hope you get back to doing it soon or are able to. Thanks so much for just giving us a glimpse into what you're going through and what you do. Oh, well, thank you so much for your interest and for covering this. We really appreciate it. Sal Gentile, a head writer of Late Night with Seth Myers. Turning to California, I want to bring in Betsy Thomas into the conversation, a television writer and producer, also secretary treasurer for Writers Guild of America West. Betsy, thanks so much for being on. 
Thank you so much for having me. Are you also a member of the negotiating committee? Do I have that? Yes, right? I am. So in a nutshell, can you explain what the Writers Guild is asking for? Well, in a, you know, the, the, this, I think Sal did a really good job kind of laying out what, how we've gotten where we are and, you know, what has happened with the advent of streaming as streaming has come into, um, into Hollywood and become, you know, a, a, a dominant player. Um, they've basically broken what was an incredibly, uh, you know, stable, well-paid workforce. They're trying to break it and they're trying to basically turn writers from having, you know, what we have always had, which is, you know, stable jobs, even though we go, you know, job to job occasionally, you know, we, we still have a stable, very stable workforce. They're trying to turn us into gig workers um, that basically you know, around uh, 10 years ago, around a third of our membership worked at minimum, which is our minimum, you know, pay. And now it's up to half. Um, and just the, the, the median writer producer weekly pay in television has fallen over the last incredibly successful decade of peak TV has fallen 4%. And with, a, with the uh, inflation adjustment, it's actually 23%. So how has it been that as they need more writers and as production budgets get bigger, you are seeing a drop in your pay? Yes, that's exactly, that's correct. And, and in our residuals. I mean, residuals are, you know, for those who don't understand what that is, residuals are what we get paid. It's a share of, of you know, are being paid for when they reuse our material. And what the streamers are doing is they're not properly compensating us for those residuals. Mm -hmm. They're just, they won't tell us how many views these, these shows get. So they won't release to us. We don't have, you know, or, and not just us, the other unions as well, um, how popular these shows actually are. And they just let our content stay on their server to be watched by worldwide anybody and then they're paying us just a very small sort of pittance for um, for that reuse. Yeah. I should note that we reached out to the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, but they did not respond to our request to participate in the show. I know, Betsy, that you've also been out on the picket lines in L.A. Can you just give us a sense of what the mood is like, what you are hearing out there? Because as Sal was saying, it is so hard to not be able to do the work you love. It's, it is, but I have to say, I have been, you know, I've been so heartened. Um, we had a big meeting here in Los Angeles last night. Um, all the other labor unions, Hollywood labor unions were there. Representatives were there. They all spoke their support. The membership, you know, is out on that picket line and they're determined because they know. I mean, when, when I'm out there every day, be out there as soon as I get off this. Um, it's just story after story after story from writers that confirm everything that, you know, we're, we're trying to get for them. You know, they just confirm the terrible situation they're in, um, how they can't ma make their rent. You know, writers who are taking, who have two different jobs and two different, you know, streaming series on Netflix who have to then get a job at Starbucks because they can't actually make rent. I mean, it's, it's, really, uh, we're in a real existential crisis for writers. Yeah, I've heard that a lot, existential crisis. And, and I, I do feel like when I read the reports and the comments of the people who are 
striking that there's also a real pain behind this idea that that the value of a writer is going down in the eyes of the industry. Do you feel that way? I do. I think that there are still, I think still with the legacy companies, um, and, you know, who are working in traditional, you know, traditional television and, you know, feature films, I think that many of them still do value and understand what we do. But I think that when tech came in, and, you know, with the streaming companies, I think they are, they treat writers now, you know, they're very fungible. And this is what is, you know, terrifying and so frustrating. And I think why the writers are so mad because, and why AI is one of our issues is because there seems to be a real um, attitude towards writing now that we're all, you know, interchangeable and that are, if, if, if you won't do it for this pay, we'll get somebody else to do it. It doesn't really have to be that good. Mm. So it sounds like you and the studios, the Writers Guild of America and the Alliance are very far apart. Is that accurate? And do you think that means that this strike will go on for a long time? I think, I think we're far apart right now. And, but I think that the, the issue is, in terms for us, is we're ready to talk whenever they're ready. There are significant issues that were in our proposals that they wouldn't even discuss. And I mean, they wouldn't even have a conversation about it. So I think until the studio, you know, until the companies, AMPTP is ready to really sit down and roll up their sleeves and engage and acknowledge what has happened with writers. And it's, by the way, not just writers, this is happening to everybody. We just happen to be at the, the forefront of this. Yes. Um, until they do that, you know, that's when nothing's going to change. I mean, we have to have that conversation. Betsy Thomas is a television writer and producer, including on Our Boys. You may be familiar with her work. Also, Secretary Treasurer of Writers Guild of America West. Thanks so much for talking with us. We'll have more about the writer's strike after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour about the Hollywood writer's strike. Thousands of TV and screenwriters have hit the picket lines after talks with studios collapsed Monday. Writers are asking for better compensation, better working conditions. Nearly 90% of Writers Guild of America members voted to strike. And 
Before the break, we were joined by Sal Gentile of Late Night with Seth Meyers and Betsy Thomas of Our Boys and other programs, also Secretary-Treasurer of Writers Guild of America West. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. What film or TV show do you love for its writing? Is there a show that you'll miss or worried that you'll miss if it goes dark or has fewer episodes as a result of this strike? Maybe you've written for TV or film and want to share your job experience and how things may have changed for you in recent years. You can email forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. I'd like to bring into the conversation now Anusha Sukui, entertainment industry writer for the Los Angeles Times. Anusha, really glad to have you with us. Thanks for having me on. Also, Alyssa Wilkinson is here, senior culture writer and critic for Vox. Alyssa, glad to have you on as well. Thank you. It's great to be here. So the last time the writers went on strike was 15 years ago, Alyssa, and you've written that they tend to happen at particularly pivotal moments in the industry. We, We have a sense from what we heard from Sal and Betsy about some of the things that are weighing heavily on their minds, but could you help us understand sort of the context of what they're talking about? First, like how would you define this moment and the pivots that are happening? Sure. I mean, I think it's important to remember that in Hollywood, changes are driven by technology, and that's been true for all of Hollywood's history. Um, And 15 years ago, that change was streaming. Um, That wasn't the only matter on the table, but at the time, the question was, will we get paid residuals for streaming? How will compensation change? And, you know, at that time, the answer uh, was very much like, well, you know, who's going to want to watch TV on their computer? But as we know, uh, changes in technology happen, uh, you know, faster than anyone can expect and often are unpredictable. And so at this moment, um, the writers are still dealing with the fallout of streaming and of how so much of the industry and so much of the profits have pivoted to digital platforms, but at the same time are aware that there's a technology on the horizon that could pose an even stronger, I think, existential threat to writers' jobs, and that is artificial intelligence and how it might be used to cut writers out of the picture or to reduce the amount of money that needs to be paid to them. Mm. Well, let's take each of those. Anusha, first, streaming. Can you talk about how streaming has changed, has changed, say, what happened a decade ago with, you know, sort of the sitcom or the kind of show that would be on network television? So it's um, changed it in a number of ways. I think I think of it um, both in terms of the mode of work, um, how the work is done, and also the compensation. Um, what writers say is that, you know, uh, a traditionally a broadcast network show would run for 22 to 24 episodes, and that would ensure them work for 10 out of the 12 months of the year. Mm. Um, today, and it's been happening over the past few years, is that streaming companies increasingly um, have ordered series, shorter orders of series. Um, Bridgeton, for example, on Netflix in its first season was just eight episodes as an example. Um, And as a result, the WGA has said something like, I think uh, some writers are working as little as 14 weeks on shows. And what writers are, are finding that, you know, I think for the, you know, 
when you look at the minimum rates of what uh, staff writers can get paid, it's, you know, starts in the $4,000 a week. And maybe to the average American, that sounds like a lot. But what writers argue is that they're, they're working, they're getting that for shorter and shorter periods of time and having to stretch it um, over l- large periods of time. And it's it's not uh, giving them a livable wage in expensive cities like L.A. where they have to be based. Yeah, um, this is happening as cost yeah. of living is so high, especially here in California. Yeah, exactly. And um, uh, adding to that, there is also, you know, this um, a sort of a mode of work where uh, streaming companies have popularized so-called mini rooms, which is where they get together small groups of writers, um, you know, smaller than traditionally would be employed for broadcast network shows to um, thrash out, you know, the the, the arc of a, of, a, of a show, a season. And um, so ultimately, fewer writers are getting hired and they're working for shorter periods of time. You know, I've spoken to writers who, you know, are saying that they have to work a lot harder to get more and more of these jobs cobbled together to be able to make their, you know, their health insurance to make their year. Um, and, and some of them aren't, you know, I spoke to one that was kicked off, you know, yesterday in the, in, uh, um, was it yesterday that this week has been intense. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, um uh, at Netflix, outside Netflix, I was talking to a on the pit, on the picket line. There, I was talking to um, a writer who'd be kicked off his health insurance during the pandemic because he didn't have enough work. Mm. So those th- those are the kinds of ways streaming has upended uh, the economics of Hollywood. Yeah, Alyssa, you've written about this phenomenon of mini rooms too, and feel free to add any additional thoughts about the impacts that that Anusha described. But it also sounds like. There are a lot of people who are concerned that these mini rooms mean that people don't get more of the job experience that they need or get to see the production side of things as much as they have in the past. Could you describe that a little bit? Yeah, you know, I've heard different things from writers about this um, because what's interesting to remember is that the business is kind of an apprenticeship model. You know, you come in on a low level and you work your way up. To, through seniority ranks and maybe even to becoming a showrunner on a TV show by working with more experienced writers and then gaining production um, experience as well. So, you know, if you actually look at the credits of most TV shows, you'll start to notice writers starting to get producer credits. Um, all of that is very kind of complex and opaque to ordinary viewers. But, you know, the writers are really quite concerned that the way mini rooms are being put together tends to cut out entry and even mid-level writers, which means they don't get that experience, which means that it's basically experienced writers who are getting hired, and they're also separating the writing work from the production work, and so people aren't getting set experience, you know, all those things that you really need so that people can continue to make uh, work. So at the end of the day, it sort of feels like the system is trying to keep people out. And that's a real shame, especially because we've only just begin begun to create um, spaces for people who have a broad number of life experiences, or maybe who don't have like family money or something to be able to get into the business uh, and, and learn the trade. Anusha, what are studios saying about the kinds of things that the WGA would like, which is to have, you know, six to 12 writers, depending on a series length, that they're engaged for 10 consecutive weeks, and that there's at least one writer employed through post-production, things like that? 
So they haven't said a huge amount. They did put out a statement. You know, they were first to put out a statement on on Monday night, much earlier than the uh, the deadline of the contract. Um, we, you know, I think a lot of people expected the talks to go up to the wire. Um, but around uh, just before 8 p.m. LA time, they put out a statement. And I'm going to paraphrase, effectively saying that they were willing to make, uh, they'd made generous uh, offers um, and they were willing to even improve them, uh, I think, around on compensation. And I think specific, I think their meaning around um, increases to minimum pay. Um, but the WGA's requests for what they described as mandatory staffing and for um, employment for a minimum amount of time, those were non-starters effectively for the AMPTP, yeah. which is the body that represents studios. So um, those those they highlighted as the big sticking points. I think their their view is is that they don't want to be paying for well that they that that streamers are ordering shows in a different way now early uh before before they're green lit before they go into production and they don't want to be paying for writers to not be working uh you know uh, until until you know they, they, they'll they'll get the writers in a mini room get them to write the script and then they'll wait supposedly a certain amount of time before they go into production they don't want to be paying for writers to be mm -hmm. sitting around and not working that's their, their sort of belief Again, Anusha Sakui is entertainment industry writer for the Los Angeles Times. Alyssa Wilkinson is senior culture writer and critic for Vox. And if you have questions about what's driving this writer strike, about your favorite shows or have favorite shows that you'll miss or are worried about missing, or ones that you just want to say you love because you appreciate their writing, feel free to tell us at 866-733-6786 or by emailing forum at kqed.org. The listener writes, how will the writer strike affect my favorite show, Outlander? It is produced by Sony and aired by stars anyone have any thoughts on how outlander could be affected or because it's produced by sony and stars or, or know the answer to something this specific anusha i don't know um specifically for that show i think i don't know where it is in its season i mean i think i was uh watching um one of the writers of uh, just to give an example of how it might be affected um i was watching one of the the writers of abba elementary um explaining the impact of on on that show that and i've heard this from other writers that they were many writers were um getting ready to start new writers rooms on the next season of very popular shows like abba elementary and uh if this goes on a long time you know you could see not only the delay to the start of a new season come the fall but also um you know that there could be fewer episodes in a season mm -hmm. um and uh yeah it could be affected like that yeah. Well, this is to writes, pay them based on how many times an AI references any public post of theirs to generate an answer or content for someone, much like Google is paid per view with ads. Alyssa, can you lay out for us some of the things that the WGA is asking for around AI and some of the fears that they are trying to address with their requests? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's important to note that they're not trying to say we can never touch an AI tool. That's not that's not the ask here. The ask is um, that studios don't use AI tools to either circumvent writers entirely or to cut their work and their pay drastically. So like a, a use case might be an executive using an AI tool to create a script for an episode of uh, law and order, and I'm just pulling that out of the 
clear blue sky, but, um, and then hiring someone to punch it up, right? And they would have to pay them less because they're not the originator of the material. So that that's a real fear. Um, and I think it's a real fear for lots of reasons, but one of them is that, um, you know, AI is not right now very good at this kind of thing. If you go ask ChatGPT to give you a script for your favorite TV show, it might kind of resemble it, um, but it might be using copyrighted material. It's very bad at writing jokes right now, like just the things that make a TV show interesting and fun to watch. But that won't always be true. And just like streaming, which was very minimal in 2007 and now has taken over the world, um, AI tools may reach different levels of advancement. And they, you know, the on top of everything, the studios are sitting on giant piles of data that they've got on all of us if we've used a streaming service about what our preferences are, what we like to watch, et cetera. And they can use that to tailor their content. So presented with a tool that they can use, they they will. Um, and they made that fairly clear when the WGA presented their um, demands to the MPTP. And instead of even talking about it, they said, well, why don't we instead just have a meeting once per year about advancements in technology? So there's a big, big disconnect there. And I know there's a, a fear uh, and a rightly uh, a correct fear that um, a AI tools already exist that they want to be using to generate content to feed the streaming platforms because that's where all their growth is right now. Um, so, you know, the, the worry is not that AI is going to be as good as humans. The worry is that it's not going to matter and humans will be cut out of the picture entirely. The worry is that it's not going to matter. You mean that we as consumers, viewers, are going to be perfectly satisfied with AI imitations of writing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty clear that consumer taste um, for content, you know, I'm putting giant air quotes around that, but for content has run toward the predictable, you know, give me what I already know I like, all of those things. Um, and that's just been the trend. And the trend has also been to spend a ton of money making that content. So the more you can cut the cost out of that, the more content you can generate and the more people will just stay hooked. Um, you know, and when you think about it, some the most predictable stuff is also the stuff that makes the most money. I mean, I think the most profitable cable channel, I might be wrong on this, definitely one of the most profitable is still the Hallmark channel, y you know, in part because you know exactly what you're going to get when you watch a Hallmark movie, and that's the charm of it. But it also feels to me like it wouldn't be hugely difficult to generate a Hallmark movie Oof. through AI. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, what comes next is actors and voice actors. And why do we need any of these things if we have a machine that can do it that doesn't want fair working conditions? Yeah. Well, Brooke in San Francisco is on the line. Hi, Brooke. What's your question? Hi. I have a comment and then a question to follow up. Um, you know, traditionally, I, I, as I know it, uh, uh, TV shows had advertisements. You had a hit uh, show, then you got more money for advertisements. Um, and I'm just wondering, uh, you know, how the streaming platforms, how Netflix, you know, we, we get these small little series that we're not really invested into. You know, for instance, I think the last time the writer's strike happened, we had a horrible ending to the series Lost. And uh, everybody was up in arms. And uh, I'm just wondering, you know, mm. with these little series that we don't get invested to and, uh, you know, how writers get 
paid for the streaming. You know, we don't get to choose really, you know, it's not your standard TV. We just uh, pay a Netflix subscription. So we, mm. as a consumer or viewer, you know, we get invested into this little tiny series. And, and as a viewer, I don't think we have a voice to say, hey, we don't want these little series. We want something that we can really get invested in, into. Um, and I'm just, uh, I guess my question is, you know, how does that work? I, you know, I'm really glad that you're talking about this because I feel that um, it needs to be put, uh, some responsibility needs to be put on the viewers to demand that we get better writing. You know, you just talked about the AI and predictable stuff. We, I, I don't want that. And I watch TV all the time. I mm-hmm. want the stuff that I can really get into that's going to, you know, change, uh, be better uh, at, its, at its art form, I guess. Yeah, um, you're raising a lot of thoughtful points. Anusha, do you want to respond to some of the things, that, the concerns that Brooke has? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know. I don't know um, how possible it is to sort of reverse um, what the sort of the the trend, you know, to kind of put the genie back in the bottle, as it were, in terms of the length of series and and whatnot. Um, the trend right now is for uh, studios to, you know, batten down the hatches uh, to some degree, you know, and they are cutting back um, on production. Wall Street is putting a lot of pressure and we're seeing it this morning with Paramount Global, whose shares were down um, considerably uh, because, you know, Wall Street is putting a lot of pressure on um, studios to be, uh, you know, to have better balance sheets to to manage their costs better when it comes to streaming. Hmm. Although I I will add the caveat that um, the WGA is, you know, estimated that the studios are going to spend something like $19 dollars on streaming in 2023 so you know obviously it does remain important to them um i i guess you know the the, the, sorry go on is is there anything you might suggest other than you know canceling your netflix subscription you know making a tweet to to get better programming to you know as a as a viewer or consumer And you know what, Anusha, hold that thought for right after the break and and Brooke, stay on the line so that you can hear the answer. We're talking about Hollywood and the writer's strike and the broader impacts that it's having. We'll have more on Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The Hollywood writer strike has entered its fourth day, and we're talking with Anusha Sakui, entertainment industry writer for the Los Angeles Times, and Alyssa Wilkinson, senior culture writer and critic for Vox. And you, our listeners, who are asking questions about the situation for writers and why they are striking, and in Brooke's case, what they can do to help. Um, Brooke's question echoes this comment from Bex, who writes, the writer should encourage customers to boycott the streamers and get them where it hurts, cancel their subscriptions. But is that the answer? And quickly, Anusha, I knew you uh, were going to finish the thought that... Uh... Yeah, I can't I can't advise people to whether or not to cancel their subscriptions or not. Obviously, that's not my role. I have seen a lot of comments uh, online about, you know, from writers and whatnot about, you know, uh, cancelling subscriptions. On the, on the, on the flip side... Um, you know, uh, there has been a lot of discontent from fans of shows that have been cancelled early. Um, ha it hasn't seemed to have influenced or changed the minds of um, streaming companies in terms of their decision making around um, certain shows. So uh, or, or, or even, you know, when Get Batgirl was effectively cancelled by Warner Brothers, um, you know, even though it'd be made that film, uh, you know, so. It's hard to know. I, I would, you know, as a general consumer, I, I would have thought, you know, wherever you go, where, you know, wherever you spend, wherever you're spending your time watching, you know, uh, companies will notice that. Mm -hmm. And there is, they are under a lot of pressure to um, keep eyeballs on there and, and to reduce, you know, what they call churn, to reduce people cutting their subscriptions. Well, I want to bring into the conversation now Eric Haywood, a writer, producer, and director. His TV shows include Empire and Law and Order, Organized Crime. Eric Haywood, so glad to have you on with us. Happy to be here. Thank you. Especially as an established writer attached to just a number of established shows, very well-known shows that a lot of people have heard of. I'm wondering why it's important for people with the industry clout that you have, the financial security that you have, to be vocal about the needs of writers and supporting this strike? You know, I think the, the, your question actually contains the answer. And what I mean by that is personally, I feel like uh, people who are in a position to uh, uh, absorb a little bit of you know, financial risk have an obligation to reach out and give back and, and take a stand for the people who aren't in those positions and in particular, the writers who are newer to the industry, uh, who are one day, you know, who are coming up behind us and are one day going to occupy these spaces. And then it'll be their turn to do the same thing for the writers who are coming up behind them. So it is it is the definition of, of collective action. Yeah, it does feel like a lot of the emphasis is on how entry level writers are being treated as well and, and trying to get the experience that they need. Could you expand a little bit from your vantage point on this being called an existential fight? for writers, how do you define that? Do you think that the profession as we know it is at risk of obsolescence? You know, I, I do think it's at risk. I don't think any of this is a given and I don't think any of it is uh, guaranteed. I think um, there are so many people, you know, uh, who come into this business who are driven by their passion, their, by, by their creativity and their, their creative urges to tell stories and connect with people via storytelling. But the reality is, as the economics make uh, a sustainable career as a screenwriter less and less tenable, at a certain point you have to ask yourself, can I even afford to do this? Can I even afford to live in a city as expensive as Los Angeles or New York? And some will be able to hang on. Um, they will suffer, but they will hang on. 
Others will begin to say, you know what, if I have to choose between an increasingly unstable, unreliable industry and the ability to feed my family and pay my bills, maybe I leave Los Angeles, maybe I leave the industry um, um, altogether and, and move somewhere cheaper, get a job that feels more stable and just accept that, you know, that's going to be my life. Over time, what that does is it decimates uh, what was once a very stable, reliable workforce. Um, so, so, so the problems that we're facing now just get worse when there are fewer and fewer people basically left to do the work because others have been forced out of the business. So yeah, I very much believe we're in an existential crisis for writers. We heard that Brooke, for example, noticed a loss of quality, right? <laughs> or, and you have made some some really insightful reflections on the connection between a writer's financial security and their creativity. Can you share a little bit about how you see that relationship? I think most writers can tell you, and most you know artists of any kind uh, will probably agree that it's it, it can be very difficult to be creative when you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from. It's hard to come up with a funny joke you know, for your sitcom or your late night comedy show when you're starving. And once again, people are driven by passion and we often find ways to dig deep and do that. But I'll tell you from experience, it's a lot more uh, comfortable a position to be in when you have a stable income, when you work for a show that you know uh, a Law & Order Organized Crime was 22 episodes. Like I worked almost an entire calendar year. I didn't have to worry about being kicked back out into the workforce to hunt for my next job after only working for 10 weeks at a time or 13 weeks at a time. That's happening more and more. And the stress that that uh, uh, puts on people, it does make it genuinely difficult to, to, be, uh, uh, to operate at the top of your game. Well, let me go to caller Stephen in Napa next. Hi, Stephen, you're on. Hi. Um, I come from this from a different perspective. Um, I used to be in a DGA and a PGA, although I was never in the writer. But most of my work, a vast majority of my work was non-union. Um, I just hope that the WGA doesn't become so intractable in their negotiations with the networks and studios that writers will be even push further out because they are so critical. You know, I'm a, mm. without it, without a great script, you have nothing, absolutely nothing. So I I'm firmly in the writer's camp. Um, I just hope that their leaders are in the union are reasonable enough to understand the changing landscape of the business and where the oh. power rests really. Oh, that's interesting, oh. Stephen. Thanks. Thanks for that call. Actually, Eric, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. What I think I'm hearing from Stephen is he fully recognizes the importance and value of writers, but that he is almost worried that in these negotiations with the studios that the power is not on their side here and that they may need to make some concessions. Well, here's the thing. Um, um, first of all, in principle, I very much agree with the, the, the premise of, of, of Stephen's question. Um, a couple of things. Uh, we, as Betsy uh, mentioned earlier uh, uh, this morning, uh, we had a massive uh, WJ membership meeting uh, here in Los Angeles last night. 
And, and uh, we had an unprecedented amount of support from our sister unions. Um, this has never happened before. We had representatives from the DGA. Uh, we had representatives from the Screen Actors Guild, uh, the Teamsters, IATSE, several other unions, and they all one at a time got up on the stage and they took the microphone and they said some version of, we stand with you, your fight is our fight. So I want to dispel this notion, if, any, if anybody is, is confused about this, the, 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 the WGA, the Writers Guild, is not out there by ourselves fighting uh, uh, an intractable fight. The leadership has the strongest connections with these other unions. We've had support from unions in Canada. We've had uh, the, the, the Writers Guild of Great Britain has come out on our side. And I think everyone realizes that, that uh, typically, historically, you know, the, the, the Writers Guild in any calendar year will often negotiate our contracts first. And we're a little bit of the canary in the coal mine. So how the Writers Guild gets treated by the studios is an indicator of how the directors are going to get treated when it's their turn to negotiate and how the actors are going to get treated when it's, when it's their turn to negotiate. Mm. Everybody realizes, basically, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, if, they, if they're coming for the writers, they're coming for us next. Um, and, and, and oftentimes in, in, in previous years, there have been other unions who have basically said to the Writers Guild, slow down, don't go too far, don't go too fast, basically don't blow it for the rest of us, and we take all of that into account. That hasn't been the case uh, 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 this negotiating cycle. We've had more support from more unions than we've ever had before, and they've been extremely public and vocal about it. So, so I don't think we're in danger of overplaying our hand because there's frankly too much at stake. Alyssa, I feel like your reporting has touched on exactly what Eric has been saying, that, that Hollywood's power players stand to be affected as well, and that maybe they're beginning to face the reality of this, of things like AI and the types of things that streaming demands, um, and that's why we're seeing such support at this stage? Yeah, I mean, we have to remember that um, other guilds, uh, their contracts are also up this summer. Uh the Directors Guild, uh, which tried to settle terms uh, for their own negotiation with the studios last fall, as far as I know, and that went nowhere, which wasn't a great sign. And then SAG-AFTRA, and, you know, that's the actors, and they're very concerned about their own uh, vulnerability to technologies, you know, to to AI. We've seen moves in that direction already and not just for acting on screen but also if you're reading an audiobook or you know there's an animated film so there's a lot at stake here and i think everyone i've talked to in the business really understands that and i've even heard people say you know mid-level executives know this too and nobody likes what's happening right now um but there's such a profit push and such a a sense that um, we need to always have our profits rise. And there's not a great business plan in place right now for how that could happen other than cutting the bottom line. Um, but that means affecting the humans who work in the industry and are making the art in favor of turning it into content. Yeah. Anusha, I couldn't help but notice that one of your most recent pieces for the LA Times is titled Why Hollywood Writers' Strike Won't End Soon. You are seeing this as dragging out potentially for months. Yeah, I mean, what we did was we looked at a document that the, you know, obviously we spoke to negotiators 
um I think we've touched on some of it you know how how uh uh th- they frankly were uh felt insulted by some of the um responses that the companies put forward to their proposals they put out a document on monday night that sort of we don't know exactly when in 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 the negotiations these this it stands but they they put their proposals against what the studios had countered and you can see huge gaps um on major issues so uh it doesn't look like anything that's going to get resolved soon and even bob backish from paramount global this morning uh, was reported saying that he thinks it's going to last a long time we were talking about the hollywood writer strike and this happens to be for many public radio stations, a fundraising period for us. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Well, we have a couple of comments on AI. Uh, The listener writes, what's wrong with having scripts written by AI? Doesn't it just make everything go faster? Another listener, Kim, writes, there should be a high level of concern about AI. I tried ChatGPT and asked it to create Gary Larson-like captions. While some were duds, there were some real gems that made me laugh out loud all created in less than 10 seconds. Eric, I'd love to hear how concerned you are about the threat of AI. You know, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm very much concerned and I think a mm-hmm. lot of writers are. We have a, a, a wide sort of spectrum of, of opinions, even within the Writers Guild. There are those who feel, uh, 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 to your point, that, you know, the quality isn't there. It's gonna take a long time for it to get to the level uh, where it poses a legitimate threat. Uh, but overwhelmingly, uh, uh, the the concern amongst writers is that uh, this technology is is advancing at a a really fast pace. So because it's not great today, it's probably going to be pretty good in 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 six months from now, and how, it, it maybe even be great a year from now. That poses a threat to the people who actually do this for a living. So one of many possible scenarios, and you touched on this earlier. Uh, uh, could be a future in which a studio, a movie studio executive goes into AI and generates a a first draft of a feature film script. And then they go and they hire a human being, an actual experienced writer to basically do a rewrite. But they say, well, since you didn't actually do the first draft, our computer generated this. Maybe you used to get paid six figures or more to write a screenplay. This time, we'll offer you $5,000 as a flat fee because all you have to do is go in and punch it up. And if you say no to that, maybe you want to stand on principle and say, I, I reject this deal. The next person, the next person they go to may not be in a position to turn that down. So the value of what we create, of what we bring to the table, gradually gets diminished and AI threatens to, to drive it off a cliff. What do you think is the consumer's role in not letting this happen, Eric? The consumer's role, that's tricky because I think in all forms of technology, making things convenient for the average person, be it your smartphone or your tablet or, you know, uh, uh, what have you, uh, it becomes very seductive. Um, um, just like the person who said, what's wrong with AI? I, it, I, I asked it to generate some punchlines and it did, you know, fairly well. I think there is, uh, it's gonna, there, we'll, we'll need sort of an outcry, frankly, from the public. And I think 
Uh, that's going to happen because it isn't just screenwriters who are at risk from the threat of, of AI. We're already seeing it being implemented in the music business. There are musicians and singers who aren't even alive anymore, but someone can go and create a new track of music and put a dead singer's voice on it. And it may not be indistinguishable from the actual person's vocals, but give it a minute, give it six months, give it a year. It'll probably continue to improve. And then what ramifications does that have for the music business? We've heard constant stories about law firms letting people go because they have AI that can generate a brief so now we don't need five or six or 10 employees. So this isn't just a matter of, of Hollywood screenwriters uh, in particular feeling the, the pressure of this threat. Once again, <laughs> the, the Writers Guild is sort of in this position of being the canary in the coal mine. Like they, they're coming for us now, uh, trust and believe they're gonna come for your line of work in, in some form or fashion as soon as they can make it economically feasible. Ooh, it reminds me of this line in your piece, Alyssa, where you say maybe you don't care about the WGA and that's your prerogative, but it's worth considering that this round of bargaining may have long-reaching implications in your field, too. I don't know if you want to add something quickly there. Yeah, I just think that it's important to recognize that what we're seeing is the first strike, you know, the first kind of uh, movement about AI, the labor movement. And this is going to hit everybody in the next year or two. And if it hasn't hit you yet, it's coming. So whatever precedent is set here actually matters way, way beyond Hollywood. Well, Laura writes, I find that a lot of streaming content and the potential of AI generated content is analogous to fast food. Yes, it's food and cheap and basically edible, but not fulfilling or satisfying and in the long run, not healthy. Our culture has managed to distinguish and elevate the value of organic, non-GMO, locally sourced food. Writers are the organic, non-GMO and locally sourced creators of what we feed our brains. Go writers. Eric Haywood, thank you so much for talking with us. For having me. I appreciate it. Eric Haywood is a writer, producer, and director. His shows include Empire and Law and Order Organized Crime. Anusha Zakui of the LA Times, thank you as well. Thank and you Alyssa, so much for having me. And Alyssa Wilkinson, senior culture writer and critic for Vox, appreciate having you on too. Thank you so much. I also appreciated writers Betsy Thomas and Sal Gentile for joining us at the top of the show. I appreciate Susie Britton, our producer, for producing today's segment. We here at Forum appreciate good writing, and we appreciate you, our listeners, for your great comments. You have been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.